Welcome to the Attention Podcast. This is Dan Sanchez. I am joined by James Carberry, the founder of Sweetfish Media. And today is a special episode because we're essentially going to talk about the origin story of where, how this podcast even became a thing. Like, why are we talking about audience growth? Why are we why are we splitting up a whole new podcast dedicated to this topic out of B2B growth when we, as a podcasting company, as a B2B marketing company, there's so many topics we could get into. We could be covering just ABM. We have a very a- ABM bent for our podcasting company. We could just be talking about audio. We could just be talking about so many different topics, yet we're starting a podcast solely focused on audience growth. And today I wanted to go a little bit more into why, like, why are we doing this? Where did this even come from? Um, And a little bit is really baked around a bit of my backstory and then James recognizing some trends. And I'll let James talk to that. But first, I wanted to jump in and just kind of say that as a marketer, I've been searching for something to go deep on for years, (laughs) years and years. I remember when I first started with James, like I I launched a podcast. I was a customer of Sweetfish first. I was trading services and I launched the nonprofit marketer because I'm like, this is, I'm working at a nonprofit. I'm doing some cool work here. I'm just going to go all in on this topic. And then James made a move and hired me to work at Sweetfish, and that that podcast got shut down. <laughs> Didn't make a whole lot more. You remember there. that? I remember I was like, James, should this podcast be? Should this be a Sweetfish podcast? And you were like, No, 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 no. profits like, ain't okay, got no well, there goes, <laughs> there goes that. And I was like, Dang, well, what am I going to focus on? I'd been a marketing generalist and a good generalist. I'd gone deep on lots of different topics, but never really could call like one topic my own. Um, and so I took swings and pivoted multiple times. And the last one, rec- like most recently, like this summer, I was going deep into thought leadership. I loved the topic. Yeah. It was kind of cringy. People <laughs> misunderstand it a lot, and a lot of people hate the topic. Because so many people call it. there was something powerful yeah. about it that I was like, yes, like this is freaking where it's at. Like Chris Walker, like champions demand gen. I'm like, yeah, but really, it's a thought, it's leadership, thought leadership play underneath. Yeah. <laughs> He's generating demand through thought leadership, and that's really the secret sauce. Yep. Um, but then you ended up convincing me that maybe, like, that's a valuable thing to know, but audience growth yeah. should be the thing. And I fought you on it for a long time, but tell me, like, where, like, how did this become a topic for you? Like, you actually made me, you made my job title the director of audience growth even before I started. Yeah. Like, did you know it back then or like, how did you see this? Unfold? Yeah. So I, I've been, a couple years ago, we tried pivoting Sweetfish into being a media company. You were part of that. I mean, you you designed our new website that we currently use right now around this premise that we were really going to become a media company for shows about work. And uh, part of the way that we were going to do that, we were going to build uh, these different shows to be like the show in a given industry. So we already have B2B growth, which is kind of the B2B marketing show, um, amongst some other great marketing shows, but we're a top 100 marketing show consistently in Apple podcasts. So we already kind of like have a really strong foot in that world. We started the B2B sales show. We started a show called crafting culture to go after more HR professionals. And then we started going after some industries. So we started a show in the IT space and in manufacturing. And the thesis there was really, 
he or she who owns the audience has all the leverage. When you think about the brands that are top of mind, that are on the tip of everyone's tongue, they're the brands that have an audience. A lot of those brands are media companies like Morning Brew, The Hustle. Obviously, those two brands have just recently been acquired uh, for millions and millions and millions of dollars. I think uh, it's said that Morning Brew got acquired for $75 million from Business Insider. I don't know if that's official. I've also heard that The Hustle got acquired by HubSpot for like $29 million. Uh, you see Sales Hacker, who's a media brand, get acquired by Outreach a couple years ago. I don't know what the numbers are on that. I haven't heard anything around that. But this idea that brands creating audiences are intensely valuable, and I think in the in the world of B2B, it's even more valuable because a media company's business model is really hard. I mean, you have to have hundreds of thousands of downloads and, and eyeballs or ears on your content to be able to monetize that through advertising. But a B2B company that has an audience has a product or service that is usually sold for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so you don't have to have massive audience to be able to drive millions of dollars in revenue. And so you look at what Gong has done with Gong Labs. They take their data from their call recording platform and they splice and dice it and do these really in-depth articles on what works and what doesn't work when it comes to selling. That, that content is fascinating to basically anybody in sales. We share those articles internally all the time. Well, Gong is <laughs> positioned to have, have much better profit margin on their media arm of their business because they actually have a product that companies pay. I don't know what Gong's price is. I would imagine it's tens of thousands of dollars a year for a company to implement Gong. So it makes even more sense for Gong, a B2B software company, to, to be a media company, to have a media company within their company. And they've done exactly that, and it is proven to be ex, ex, insanely profitable for them. And so I, I that's where my thinking has been on this is, man, we, we see it from afar in B2C land, like the brands that have audience win. Uh, but even more so... Uh, it's a massive win, even more so with B2B companies, in my opinion, and everybody seems to be sleeping on it. I don't hear people talking about how do you actually build an audience? And so there's there's folks that are talking about how, how to build your personal brand on LinkedIn. There, there's lots of ways to build an audience. How do you build an audience via email? How do you build an audience via LinkedIn or Twitter? How do you build uh, an audience on your podcast? Like, how do you help your employees build their own audience so that it lifts up your company's audience? There are so many different threads that you can pull. And so I just, and because I know that you, Dan, are fascinated by this stuff. I mean, you've grown your own following on LinkedIn from 600 followers to 22,000 followers in less than two years. And it's because of your intense curiosity, passion, drive to try to figure out, crack the code, how do we do this for our customers too? And we know around here at Sweetfish, like we're big on drinking our own champagne. Like if we can figure out how to do this for ourselves, we know we can help our customers do it. And so that's why I'm so bullish on audience growth, because I, I just think he or she who owns the audience owns all the leverage. I love that quote. This is why we baked it into the description for this show, because it's true. Um, 
a lot of companies can be wandering around with money. You know, you raise a couple million bucks, but gosh, they're begging. They're begging journalists for just a shot yes. to be featured in, you know, TechCrunch or Wired or whatever, wherever they think their audience is like begging to be in it or just paying through the roof to get to places, yep. right? You're at their mercy. Um, and I don't want to give up that kind of control. Goodness, no. I, I would much rather own the audience myself and choose when, like, and have it be on my terms when I when I want to push them toward a particular product or something that we're rolling out instead of having to go and beg other media properties to talk about it. You know, what's funny is it just seems like there's so much arbitrage to be had with media companies. And that was something that was like originally super excited to be involved with Sweetfish on, to be involved in Sweetfish as an agency, but also kind of a media company. We were going to originally steer it more towards a media company have swung a little bit more back to the the B2B podcasting agency thing. But still, like, when I think about it now, like, there's a lot of media companies, and they have to, man, you're right, the, the amount of attention they have to have in order to monetize it through advertising somebody else's stuff is substantial. Yeah. Like, the New York Times has to have a lot of attention in order to yep. sell some ads, and while those ads seem expensive, they're, and they're probably overpriced from an advertising perspective, yet a B2B company can have a very tiny audience, but if it's the right audience, yep. it, you can make way more money than... The New York Times. Yeah. And and I think, Dan, I was I was talking to somebody about this the other day. This is a this was a fascinating insight to me, but it was uh someone that was talking to some people in in the industry that work at larger media companies that you and I and everybody listening to this would know. And they said that there's about to be a mass exodus of producer type talent from these big media companies because they're putting on these elaborate productions. But because you have to have such a massive audience to be able to fund the work that goes in to producing these elaborate productions, they said that, you know, a lot of these media companies have 10 to 12 person staffs working on these shows, but they need 20 to 30 person staffs. And so what the, the implication of that is all of these people end up working 60 to 80 hours a week and they're burnt out. This person that uh, the person I'm referring to was talking to said that they've been at this one particular media company for like only four months and they're already toast. They're burnout and they're looking for something new. And I think we, as a, as a B2B podcast agency that uh, focused on really quality content, moving into focusing on much higher quality content, we have the opportunity from a talent recruitment standpoint to be the place that says, hey, come rest your weary bones here at Sweetfish where you work 40 hours a week producing great work for B2B brands and you don't need you don't need to have an audience of millions of people to be able to justify our customers spending, you know, 30 grand a month on our service because their their software has massive margin in it and they just don't need to sell a lot of software licenses to justify building out an in-house or an in-house or outsource to us media arm in their business. I mean, it's already happening. Like we hired Amy, uh, Pancake, how do you pronounce her last name? I, Pan, yeah, Pan Amy P. Here. <laughs> um, I'm like, wait, I've never had to say her last name out loud before. Um, Amy, if you're listening to this, sorry, I'll, you're going to have to teach me how to pronounce your last name. But she was she was like a producer for HGTV, yeah. working on not just, and she did it in two capacities. She was one part of the team actually coming up with the ideas for shows, and then part of a different team actually executing the visions for these shows. Yep. So I'm like, 
already people are starting to show up and they're wanting to do the new thing and they're seeing podcasting is becoming that new thing and want to learn. Yeah. Um, and she has fantastic ideas and I'm like, my goodness, like, is it, so I'm starting to think that's probably going to be a norm. Yeah. Like they're going to leave the big media companies and, and join these smaller teams because honestly, it's just not as hard to execute things with quality these days. Yeah. Cameras cost less talent, not talent still costs as much as talent costs. <laughs> um, but it, you could do it me- leaner and meaner and faster mm-hmm. um, and not spend $100,000 an episode, yep. which is what Amy told me they're spending at HGTV to That's knock out insane. an episode. Yeah. And an when, episode. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when you have, so that means you have to make a hundred, more than $100,000 an episode from advertising alone on, and that's, that's absurd to think about. Like when I think about B2B growth and the, the reach that we have with our show, I mean, we're getting somewhere close to 160,000 downloads an episode, but we don't like the, the production that it, like the level of investment that it takes to produce something that gets us 160,000 ears uh, a month is is not it's anywhere close license. to that. <laughs> and, a, and an audio editor, it's kind of like, no, it's nothing. And, and I, I fact, think I will probably edit this grow. episode myself and it will take me 20 minutes yeah. less. Yeah. And, and I think that whenever you start getting more thoughtful about production level and like, and, yeah. and, and doing things in a way that makes the content more intriguing to more people, it, you know, the cost goes up sure. a little bit, but certainly not what it needs to be uh, at, at what a lot of these production companies have have turned it into. And it's like, it, it creates a vicious cycle. And so I'm, I'm excited to see B2B companies start to really catch this vision for, oh my gosh, if we can create compelling media, we, do, we don't need to monetize it through advertising. And the beautiful part is, I mean, Joe Polizzi's book, Killing Marketing, you actually can. Like there's, if if Gong wanted to monetize their Gong Labs articles, I'm sure they could get tons of sales tech platforms to pay to get mentioned in their content. But Gong doesn't need to because they're making enough peop- enough money off of the demand they're generating for their own product just makes way better content. You don't have to put it behind the paywall like Salesforce probably will. Like if Salesforce doesn't make Salesforce Plus free, that whole initiative will be like a fraction of what it could. Yep. Like as far as the impact to their bottom line. Yep. If I were them, I would dump everything. And I don't know if I would have named it Salesforce Plus. I probably would have named it something (laughs) different. Um, Because now I just think like, well, there's just going to be Salesforce training there, which they charge six grand a year for. For their just how to use your tool I have to pay a subscription of $6,000 for it, but you know, it's Salesforce. So where else are you going to get it? Yeah. Um, if they would just free me a model, like their training out and come up with more training and build their own, build the next lynda.com. They don't need to monetize it. They don't need to charge a subscription. It could just be the place where you learn stuff Yeah. and then make up all the difference on all the tools they do have. It's wild, man. I, I, I think more and more, uh, it's shocking to me, actually, Dan, that more companies haven't wisened up to this. I mean, you're starting to see Chili Piper and Dooley uh, and and even PandaDoc um, start to engage TikTok and LinkedIn in a fresh way because commodity content is not going to cut it anymore. I mean, in an, in an age where um, you know companies weren't even do, weren't doing any sort of content whatsoever commodity content worked. I mean, it worked enough because 
other people just weren't doing it. But now the floodgates have opened and, you know, everybody is starting to do this stuff now. Everybody's got a blog. I think in the next five to 10 years, every single company is going to have a podcast. So now you've got to start setting your eyes on not just do we do the thing, but do we do the thing well? Do we yeah. not, not just, do we have a newsletter? Well, duh, of course you need a newsletter. What's a compelling hook and premise for that newsletter to make someone actually want to subscribe and stay engaged with the content of that newsletter? What's your hook on LinkedIn that all of your employees like rally around and talk about and help your market get better at? Like you have to start developing premises at a channel level and just like what Gong Labs has done with their LinkedIn articles, I mean, that's a very smart execution and premise. It's, hey, we take the data from our platform and tell you how to sell better <laughs> based on the data that we're seeing. Like, who's not going to want to eat that up if they're in sales? Premise-based or uh, channels-based with unique premises, I think, is another topic we're going to be exploring deeply in this show because I think no one's thinking about it that way. And as soon as we started talking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this yep. is it. This is the thing. And some some people have been doing this for a long time, but there's not nearly enough. It's the people um, It's the people that have actually succeeded at building an audience. When you true. look at what Morning Brew did, Morning Brew was a newsletter with the premise of, we're giving you your daily business news in millennial speak. That was the premise. And they found millennials that could write in a fun, lighthearted tone that that were basically taking what uh, what these major news publications were talking about and just turning it into millennial speak. Like it doesn't have to be complex. And they just got acquired for seventy five million dollars. And it was honestly a steal. If yeah, you think about it because they were generating profits themselves, right? So now you have a whole. Well, I don't know. Were they were they acquired by a media entity or yeah, a, Business Insider? Business? Um, okay, so it's a little bit of a different model. That's just. Uh, it would have been real smart. That's for, just consolidation versus HubSpot buying um, Hustle. The Hustle, which is the newsletter I read every morning. For them, it's just like it, they, they just acquired a whole marketing arm. Yep. It's a profitable marketing In, arm. Instead of starting it's marketing Salesforce that pays Plus, for itself now. Instead of, instead of starting Salesforce Plus, what if Salesforce would have bought Morning Brew? That would have been a hell of a lot smarter. Freaking, yeah, they missed. Oh, well, we'll see if they acquire something else. Um, you know what's interesting is we're seeing everyone do content marketing. And I think it's just assumed that if you're doing content marketing that your audience will grow. No, no I've been a part – I mean, we've both been a part of a lot of content marketing strategy conversations, mm -hmm. right? You get included in those conversations. It is always assumed that you're growing the audience. Yeah. Hardly anybody does. Yep. Even the big companies putting lots of money into their their blogs – like, what are they doing to grow the audience? Usually not not much. Yep. If and, they're running and, paid media at all, it's to just get more demos, yep. but never to build the, the actual content marketing. Because audience growth can be ambiguous. Well, how, are we, how do we even measure the audience growth? Are we looking at it in terms of how many followers we have on a platform? Are we looking at it in terms of email subscribers? Like, how, are, are we looking at it in terms of how many people view a particular piece of content that we put out and that's how we measure the audience size? So there's just so, that's why I'm fascinated about this topic in general and having someone like you with the passion, energy, excitement, intellect, 
around this exploring it because I'm personally fascinated by it and I want somebody way smarter than me like yourself exploring all the questions that there are to be asked around this so that we can freaking figure it out. You just asked a great question and then I'm like, ooh, that's a whole season right there. How the hell do you measure audience groups? Yes. <laughs> like when there's so many different ways to look at it and which one's the best one or is it a combination of different metrics? Yep. Um, how do you, and how do you, how do you do it quickly or easily or if you, maybe it's not supposed to be? Yeah. Right? Do you measure it based on consumption, subscribers, reach? You know, there's so many different ways to look at that. Yep. Um, and maybe, and I think probably all data points, probably all important, but to what degree yeah. that, that that's yet to be explored. Yep. And that's why we're creating this whole show is to explore these kinds of conversations apart from the actual content creation itself. There will be a lot of content around how to make better content. Of course, that's kind of the crux to audience, right? Is having compelling content. Yeah. But a lot of it will be in, a, in addition to that, like how to actually grow the audience, yep. not just in tips and tricks and hacks, but what are the broader conversations that we should even be asking in order to grow it? Yep. And why are we missing it? Yep. Why do soloed creators have such an easier time creating audience compared to businesses with way more resources yep. and could hire a whole team of creators, yet they don't? Why, why, don't, why is that a thing? Yep. Right. There's so many different aspects to yet to be explored on audience growth. And I still think it's pretty early. Like people are starting to now hire people as professional audience growth practitioners, but it's still like to me, like almost like the days of social media, right? Yeah. When it was weird to be hired just to do social media. I was one of those early waves of millennials um, where people made fun of me for managing Twitter per and getting paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody no one no one makes fun of that anymore. No. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, now it's become commonplace enough to know that, like, you you can't just hire your 23-year-old niece to run this playbook either. Like, now it's, I mean, people are throwing legitimate dollars after folks that know the nuances of how these platforms work. I mean, even as we're designing our new suite of services for 2022, we're looking at how do we find creators that have built a 50,000 person plus audience on a social platform or email list or podcast. And how do we get them in a customer facing role with Sweetfish so that they can be listening to our customers content and figuring out how can we slice and dice this content into, into micro content that performs really well on the internet to assume that we have the talent in house already that can do that is foolish because we don't have anybody on our team currently outside of outside of you and myself that have even built a substantial following on social. So I, I think I think companies have to be thinking about the talent that they need to be able to do that. Now where we're trying to position ourselves as an agency as being an agency that's stacked full of those types of creators. So it makes a lot of sense for companies to work with us because now you get access to our our entire team of creators that have built audiences of 50,000 plus or more because we know platform nuances and how human psychology works. I think those are the two skill sets of someone that understands audience growth that I've been really diving more into is like, it's, it's not just understanding the nuances of a platform. It's understanding human psychology and what's actually going to make somebody want to engage with a piece of content and one without the other doesn't work. I almost think of people who know how to grow an audience. It's almost like it's going to be the new bachelor's degree, the new MBA, mm -hmm. the new PhD. There's so much 
that goes into it, and they have to be so good at getting an intuitive understanding and discernment that can only be gained from painful, painful trial and error. And experimenting and testing and finding the wins and doubling down on it when yeah. you hit when you freaking strike gold yep. and making it getting all you can out of it and then trying to do it re- replicate it and it gets probably the why the solo creators there's so much more to gain as a solo creator than there is a business yep. because it takes so much freaking work yeah like the reason why I was able to grow the LinkedIn audience was partly because right time right place LinkedIn happened to be hot that that summer yep. when I hit it hard. Because everybody was getting laid off from mm-hmm. the pandemic, and there everyone's hitting LinkedIn hard, lots of attention. Yeah. And then I got plugged into B two B Growth, a big podcast, and I had a bunch of I had you and a bunch of other people in like these engagement groups that were hitting my content pretty yeah. regularly. And I put in a ton a, of work, absorbent amount of time every yeah. freaking day, four thirty in the morning, yeah. <laughs> like waking up and spending time. So it's like all those combinations and, led to growth. Yeah, and, and but it was hard. You didn't have. <laughs> You didn't have a corporate overlord that yes. was dissecting every little thing that you were doing and and forcing you to get an approval to to do a LinkedIn status. Like Praise that's God. another piece that as you, as you're talking, I'm think like this is why companies suck at this stuff and why independent creators are crushing it because they don't they don't have to ask permission to ch- to change up a premise or to try a different angle. They don't have to go through 17 layers of approvals to be nimble and try new things. And so even as we're bringing on like creators into our own marketing team and kind of reshaping some of the roles within our marketing team to be creators, it's giving them lots and lots of autonomy and freedom to play and explore without feeling like they need to get approval for every post or for for everything that they do. Because it's in that autonomy and freedom where you're gonna learn like, holy crap, if, if we start doing songs about common work things, this is going to explode. Just like our out of office thing that Rex started on LinkedIn yeah, has like gone that. bonkers. Now we've had like seven or eight different people do these out of office jingles around the holidays. And we're going to start a Sweetfish band in 2022 and do a full length album called Songs About Work. Because because we gave, we, we gave our people the autonomy and freedom to be able to post freely and explore what works. And now we're going to double down on it. But we have a very unique posture. I I think more companies need to be thinking about media in this way, instead of thinking that your employees are out to get you and, and they're, and they're going to do something stupid that makes people think that you're bad or like that gets you canceled. And it's like, if that's going to be your posture and how you think about it, you're just not going to win. Yeah. I mean, employees aren't out to get the company. They're out to get some for themselves. Yep. And when you can align their interests with the company interests, then you just make lots of magic because now all of a sudden it's in the employee's best interest to make content and be bold, be bold and explore different things. And of course, if you're a big company, you attract more lawsuits. So it's kind of like you probably, at some point, you probably have to put some parameters in place to protect the company to some degree. But even then, I'm like, uh yeah, um, I don't know. If you're that big, you the can big afford the attorneys. We haven't had to cross that line yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, and, and like, I don't know. I, I, I just, I hope that it doesn't get to that point. But you see what, I, like, I look at Morning Brew on TikTok. And so they've started as this newsletter first company. They're now expanding. They've got a really popular, a couple of really popular podcasts. And was just looking at them on TikTok. They've exploded on TikTok. Talking about like, wow intricacies of what's happening in business news, but they're doing it in a hilarious way on TikTok. And I'm like, what, like, 
even like when you look at companies like SalesLoft and Outreach and Gong, and those are just sales technology platforms, they're like, there's so much opportunity for companies, software companies specifically, like the people we work with, margins on software, like 80%, like it's like 80, 80 to 90% profit margin. Why are like, you're swimming in cash. Like go out and find talent that can create this type of content or find an agency that can create this type of content for you. Like I, part of me thinks even, even us being an agency, I'm like, you should still like, you have enough marketers start hiring creators because if you, if you want the agility, the nimbleness, the thinking that it takes to be able to create this kind of stuff and grow an audience, um, it all comes down to the talent that that you're leaning on. To think that you, as the VP of marketing, have that talent when you have not actually done it yourself is foolish thinking. Like, you you have not built an audience of even 10,000 people. What makes you think that you're going to figure out how to grow an audience for your company? So I think it's eating a slice of humble pie and going, I'm probably not the best one to figure this out. I need to go find somebody that actually has. Or do what Stream did. I was that was a past interview I did with B two B Growth, which I should probably bring that that interview and have a second follow up interview with Claire Pena, um, who's a VP of marketing at Stream. They're just hiring all the creators. Yep, <laughs> I love that. And Stop literally hiring paying, marketers, paying marketing dollars to hire all the influencers of their audience. They've hired like like I maybe ten of yeah. them. Do you know how expensive that is to hire a developer influencer? Because developers already cost like 100, 200 grand. Yep. Let alone one with a, a YouTube following of 100K. Yeah. And saying, hey, yeah, do some stuff for our product, but marketing is going to take the whole hit of your salary yep. times 10. Yep. That's so expensive. Yep. But at the same time, they're freaking killing it yep. because they're literally hiring all the people that influence their audience. Yep. Internationally. So like they hire people from the India and the Philippines, like they're they're finding that where the influencers are around the world. Yep. So I'm like, it's smart. They're they're just buying the attention. Yep. Hence the name of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, lots of things to explore here, man. I, I this is I am personally jazzed to to listen to the journey, um, and we're taking a different approach with our content with this show. Like we're we're trying to. I think do what is the next evolution of content marketing, which is instead of proclaiming to be the expert. Now, Dan, you you could very well say, because of what you've done on LinkedIn, you could claim some expertise in being able to say, hey, I've built an audience, but I think the posture of saying, hey, listen to me, I'm the expert, I've made it to the top of the mountain, come hear me roar, I, I just don't think that's nearly as effective as, hey, I haven't got all this figured out yet, there's a lot of stuff to explore here. Let's go on a journey together and ask some really thoughtful and intriguing questions that our ideal audience for Sweetfish is also probably going to be fascinated to to come along the journey with. I love it. It's like you don't have to pretend. You don't have to know the answers. I'm now more frequently when people are like, well, what about this? And the LinkedIn comments, I'm like, honestly, I don't know. Let's yep. figure it out. <laughs> yep. And it just feels good saying it because you're like, I could probably BS an answer right now and it would probably be an okay answer, yeah. a C plus answer, but let's just not pretend. Yep. Let's let's just 
know some things we know and there's a lot we don't yep in any topic even if you do have the phd in the topic it's kind of like you could read all the books in the topic and still have huge gaps in your knowledge yep and i think the exploration of those things ends up resulting in paradigm shifting thinking which actually comes back to what you were alluding to earlier with thought leadership i think when we ask more thoughtful questions and go on an exploration of the answer we end up changing people's thinking a lot more than just proclaiming that we've got it all figured out yeah it's actual thought leadership because yep. you're leading people's thinking yep. and you're not doing it by telling them what to think yep I thought leadership 2.0 right there. Boom. <laughs> Just ask better questions. <laughs> All right. Well, James, this has been awesome jamming on the origin of this show, the origin of like why we're pursuing audience growth as a major topic for Sweetfish Media out of so many topics we could be focusing in on. Um, and I'm excited about doing doing the show and you and thankful for you to give me the freedom to be able to pursue this because i'm pretty sure i'm the one who suggested just separating a whole podcast out for this topic yeah and you were like yes <laughs> so. i think it's gonna be awesome I'm, I'm stoked to to be on the journey with you man awesome well thank you for listening to this show it is not yet launched but by the time you're listening to this obviously it will have been so Every show, if I can ask for one thing, if you're still listening, is to leave a rating for the show and the podcast player that you're listening to this on. They now do ratings, ratings in Spotify, so if you're listening in Spotify, leave a rating in Spotify. Spotify, Apple, wherever you're at. If they, if they allow for ratings, go and tap uh, the star amount that you feel is appropriate. I won't even tell you which one to do. Just give one. Just go get, tap it. Three, five four, would be five. awesome. I can ask because this isn't <laughs> my show. Five is awesome. There you go. You've heard it from James. And I'll see you in the next episode.